0: today we're going to worship the lord at communion and and in doing so um the lord has just stirred a message in my heart um, and and it's it's one that that i bring that i believe will bring just life so let's start off i want to turn to 1 corinthians chapter 11 i'm reading from the new living translation if you turn to 1 corinthians 11 and if you turn to numbers like let's call it 14 because you know 13 14 15 that's, that's the entirety of, of where I will be bringing this message from today. Now, I'm only gonna, we're only going to be reading on the screen out of Numbers chapter 15, but I'm going to reference Numbers 13, Numbers 14. It would be good for you to spend some time in the Word this week to see those things to make sure I'm telling the truth. Um, just because I, I I'm going to paraphrase and reference some things, but, but you've got to dig in. When someone's talking about what well, the Bible says this. you need to look and see and make sure the Bible says that. Um, So 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 26, this should be familiar to us because we read it often when we talk about communion. Verse 23, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. For every time that you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're telling the story of the goodness of God. That's what that means. You're you're telling the story of Jesus Christ. You're you're bringing the gospel to a world that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, in the scripture, we see that Jesus gives thanks. He gives thanks and then, you know, he has bread. He takes some bread, gives thanks to the Lord and then then he breaks it and then he says in the same way. So what we can assume in that, in the same way he took the cup, so we assume that he, he gave thanks again. In the same way he gave thanks to the Father. And then he shared. Unfortunately, I think this is where most Christians stop when they worship the Lord at his table. They stop just saying, well, this is just about giving thanks. It's not. It's not just about giving thanks. I believe giving thanks is a powerful part of taking communion and worshiping and remembering. But it's not the only part to truly remember the completed work of Jesus Christ it's more than just given recollection to it to truly participate and worship at his table it's more than just just a remembering and then a thanks lord our god is a God of hope and grace. All right, I'm I'm, I'm fighting. Someone else out there is preaching. Our God is a God of hope and grace. I told you I'd reference Numbers chapter 13 and and Numbers chapter 14, and I want to go to the Old Testament to to get us to the place with Numbers chapter 15 where that we see a truth about The bread and the wine, the body, and the blood. So here, here's, here's the story that we see in Numbers chapter 13. We see the children of Israel on the edge of the promised land. So Moses takes, takes a scout or a spy, you know, takes, takes a member of all 12 tribes of Israel, and says, you 12 go into the land and scout it out. I, I want you to come back and I want you to give report. I want to know what the land is like. I want to know what the people is like. I want to know what the housing is like. I, I want you to scout it out. So for the next 40 days, go out there and, and, and scout out the land. Now, there's a couple of familiar names among these members of the tribes. Um, there's who we know as Joshua, who was from the tribe of Ephraim. And then there's who we know as Caleb. And he was from the tribe of Judah. But a member from all 12 tribes were represented. And so they went to the land for 40 days. And then they came back. And they're giving their report to Moses. He's like, all right. I'm dying to hear it. Give me, give me their report. And they're like, well, it's, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's beautiful. It's abundant. There's, it's great. But... And then we start seeing some big butts in this story. But there's giants. They're, they're, there's obstacles. There's um, some scary things. And they're big, so we shouldn't go take it. We should stay right here. Caleb hears this, and Caleb was like, he, then he inserts his butt. He's like, but, and then he starts to kind of sway it the other way. He says, but, yes, there are, but we can take them. Yes, but you should see the grapes. took two guys to bring it in, to bring a bunch of grapes in. You should see, I mean, the milk. You should see the cows out there, the honey. The bees were so friendly. They didn't sting any of us. They just made wonderful Honey. There are there's, giants. But is this the land God promised us or not? Because if it is, then we'll take them. God's on our side. And then there's another but. And then the other ten spies. But they're mighty and they have fortresses and they're bigger. And they started doing this. And they started gossiping and they started dissension. And they started speaking death. And they they forgot the promises of God. They forgot the power of God. They forgot that our God is a healer and a deliverer and that he is mighty and that he is bigger. This, I I don't have it pulled up here, but I got to share it. Because in Numbers 13, Caleb says, Let's go at once to take the land. Let's not overthink this. Let's go at once. Let's go now. Let's go now. We don't need a break. Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. And then in in chapter 14, he says something very similar. He says, do not rebel against the Lord. They are only helpless prey to us. Oh my gosh. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. As we talk about a new year, I just... Last year was such a lousy, noisy, noisy kind of year. So much... Garbage being spoken. I don't care if it was on the political front or I don't care if it was whatever garbage it is that the media spews or I don't care if it was anger and hatred and fear. Whether it was about sickness or whether it was about future or whether it was about shutdowns or whatever it was, there was a lot of noise last year. And I'm here to let you know that we don't have to let that noise penetrate our hearts. We don't. We can remind ourselves who our God is and say, okay, there's giants. I get it. They're big. I get it. There's COVID. Okay. But my God is bigger. In Numbers chapter 14, we see the voices of the mass of the ten were louder. They started stirring up fear themselves. They said, all of our kids, all of our kids are going to die. Your kids are going to die. We can't go into the land. If we go into the land, your kids will die. These big people will kill your kids. We can't go into the land of promise. They said that. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what they said. They will take away all all of our children and kill them. And then they start murmuring and then they wanted to replace Moses as leader and go back. They wanted to go back into bondage. They wanted to go back into slavery. And so God says, enough is enough. And he and Moses have some dialogue and God's like, I just want to be done with them. And Moses is like, well, if you kill them all, Then our enemies are going to say, look what God did. He brought them all the way to the edge of promise and then killed them all. So, Lord, don't kill them all. And he goes, okay. But they're not going to go into the promised land. Everyone who talked about their kids being snatched up and taken by the enemy, they're not going in the promised land, but their kids will. How many 19-year-olds? 19-year-old. In this this reference, God says 19 and under. He says every kid that's 19 and under, they'll go in, but it won't be for 40 years. it will be 40 years from now. They'll be old when they go in. But every kid of all these grumbling, contentious, fearful people, the kids will get to go in. And Joshua and Caleb, who spoke life, they get to go in And their entire line, their entire tribe. They will all get to go in. But everyone 20 years and up, they'll never see it. Even Moses himself didn't see it. That's how chapter 14 ends. With, with God's judgment being declared, saying enough is enough. What do I have to do to show my power? What do I have to do to show my love? At what point are, is this people going to going to believe and going to trust now that brings us to numbers chapter 15 that i want to pick up in verse 2 god says give the following instructions to the people of israel when you finally Settle in the land I am giving you, and if I can stop right there, what he's saying is in forty years. In forty years, one year for every day that the scouts were there to see the promise. They were there for forty days, so for forty years you're gonna you're gonna wander. But in forty years, when you go into the promise. Even before I continue, I want you to know this. Our God is so amazing at mercy, even in the midst of discipline. He's so good at grace, even in the midst of judgment. There's no one like our God. There's no one like our God in back-to-back sentences who can say, I love them, they're legitimate, so i have to discipline them their sons I, I i only discipline those i love i have to and then the very next breath he says this when they when they grab a hold of the promise this is what they are to do when you finally, finally settle in the land i'm giving you you will offer special gifts as a pleasing aroma to the lord these gifts may take the form of a burnt offering. That was one of the types of offerings that they offered in Jewish culture. It may take the form of a sacrifice to fulfill a vow. It may take the form of a voluntary offering or an offering at any of your annual festivals. And they may be taken from your herds of cattle or your flocks of sheep and goats. The net of the size. You know, flocks, smaller animals, herds, bigger animals. Just kind of as a rule of thumb. It doesn't matter what you're given, what the size of the animal is, you're bringing as an offering. In addition to that, verse 4, he says, when you present these offerings, the, the herds, the cattle, the flocks, you must also give the Lord a grain offering. We don't talk a whole lot about grain offerings. We're talking about grain offerings today. Because in this grain offering, we're going to see a foreshadowing of communion. We're going to see Jesus setting the stage for what, how he wants us to remember him at his table. When you present these offerings, you must also give the Lord a grain offering of two quarts of choice flour, mixed with one quart of olive oil. For each lamb offered as a burnt lamb or one of the smaller, you know, in the flock. Um, For each lamb offered as a burnt offering or a special sacrifice, you must also present one quart of wine as a liquid offering. So I want to kind of unpack that for a moment. And I want to talk about the grain at first. Choice Flour. So, I want you to know this isn't something that's just being spoken to farmers. Oh, well, that's what he's asking of farmers. Farmers who harvest grain, they're to make this grain offering. That's not what he's doing. He's saying this is choice flour. See, what happens is grain was purchased at the market, and it was like grain. It was like, you know, fields of wheat, right? It was hard. It was like corn nuts, okay? You don't want to eat it unless your mom makes you. It's horrible. But if you do something with it and pile a bunch of sugar and strawberries and stuff, then maybe it's, it's edible. I don't know. I hate grape nuts. Um, so you take this grain and you take it into your home, and then you grind it. In your home, you, you, you prepare it. You get it to the point where it is smooth and it is fine. And now the purpose of that grain can be seen. It can be mixed with oil. It can be mixed with water. And it can be turned into bread. So when we're talking about grain and then talking about the olive oil, what we're talking about is those things needed to make bread as a sacrifice to the Lord. If you'll notice, as we continue reading, the bigger the animal, the more of that choice flour, that grain they'd have to bring. And then the more olive oil they'd have to bring and then the more wine they'd have to bring but this is really cool the amount of olive oil and oil always represents who does who does oil represent when we see it in scripture the holy spirit the amount of oil needed was always equal to the amount of wine that was to be brought when we look at wine what is that always symbolic of the blood of jesus Verse six: If a sacrifice, if the sacrifice given is a ram, a bigger animal, give a grain offering of four quarts of choice uh, flour mixed with a third, a gallon of olive oil, and give a third of a gallon of wine as a liquid offering. This will be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I want to talk about the burnt offering for a second. When we see in Scripture the burnt offering, it always speaks to our salvation. The burnt offering contained blood. The burnt offering was burnt up completely. It speaks of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Everything gets burnt up. Our sin, every bit of our sin gets burnt up. Every bit of our Shame, every bit of death in our life gets burnt up as part of the burnt offering to the Lord. By the blood of the Lamb, we are cleansed. We are whole. Sin gets incinerated by the blood of Jesus. But there's other types of offering. When we talk about, uh, it mentions a vow offering and a free will offering, that you do these things of your own free will, and you do these things coming to make a vow. There were three different types of peace offerings that were brought before the Lord, and they were a vow offering, a free will offering, and a Thanksgiving offering. What's interesting in this passage is the vow offering is mentioned in Numbers chapter 15. And the free will offering is mentioned, but not the Thanksgiving offering. I I think that's cool. Here's why, personally, I think that's really cool, is because when it comes to communion, we, we have the Thanksgiving part down. We tend to approach the table with a heart of gratitude. But do we approach the table with a vow? With a vow offering to the Lord? Do we approach this table with a free will offering saying, no one makes me do this. Jesus, I come freely to worship you. Young people, I I understand it. your parents might have made you come to church today. I I get it. You might not have had a choice. You rode with them. This is where they were coming. I get it. But I'm not talking about being in this place. I'm talking about this place. No one can make you give this place. No one can make you give freely of your heart to Jesus. Your parents can't make you do that. That has to be done of your own free will, and that has to be done with a vow. In our context, here, you know, we're in Erie, Colorado right now. We're in America. When I say vow, what what, what comes to mind? Like, what, what's... The big thing that maybe that most commonly will come to mind minds when we think about this in just in our context of being Americans: wedding, marriage. Absolutely. See you and a, and a marriage and a wedding is never about 50- 50. It's always about a hundred percent. And if we're being honest, it's not even a hundred, a hundred. It's a hundred, zero. Because when we come into a wedding, we make a vow that says, for better or worse, I will love you. In sickness and in health, I will stand by you. For richer, for poorer, I am committed to you. I vow 100% of me, even if I get 0% of you. Because this is a vow I make to you. In Jesus. It's a vow. When we worship at the Lord's table. He's asking for a grain offering. And a grain offering is a vow offering. It's a vow offering. See, the burnt offering was about what you did. It was about your sin, it was about your mistakes, it was about your garbage. it was the the burnt offering was paid was paying for all you did. The grain offering makes a vow of what you will do. I will follow you. I will obey you. I will trust you. a declaration a vow says i am completely in this for you i am completely in this for you a vow when we worship at his table says I want to work in this specific area of my life for you. And see, we make the vow in Christ Jesus. The vow is not in our own strength. If we make a vow in our own strength, that's called an ungodly vow. Because it puts us in the seat of authority and the seat of control. If we make an ungodly vow, and this is an example of an ungodly vow, I will never be like my father who blah, blah, blah. That's an ungodly vow. That's, an un- that's a curse. That's speaking a curse over ourselves saying, by my strength, I will never do that. Because you just took the position of the, of the place of control and authority. A godly vow would be, Lord Jesus, by your strength, when I'm angry, I won't respond abusively like I saw modeled to me by my father. But Lord Jesus, I can only do this through you. I can't do this by my own strength. Does that make sense? Do we see the difference? When we come and worship at this table today, I don't want it to be flippant or quick or ritualistic or religious. But it should come with gratitude and thanks and a vow. And it could be it could be Jesus. This area of my life doesn't glorify you. And it could be, Jesus, my mouth doesn't glorify you much these days. I speak a lot of fear. I speak a lot of contention. I speak, Lord, a lot of negative. Lord, the giants are there. I see them. Clearly they're there. But Lord, my mouth is declared the bigness of those giants and not the bigness of you. So as I come to this table and as I worship today, Lord, I bring you a grain offering. I bring you a vow offering. We're providing, we're providing the olive oil and the grain and the wine today, friends, but you've got to take it. You've got to receive it as, as an act of your will, of your free will. I, I'm just letting you know, this is not just meant to be giving Thanks. It's meant to say, Lord, I, bring, I want to bring you something that's a sweet-smelling aroma to you. That's, that's how I, God described it. He said, when you get into the place of promise, when you get into that place of promise, this is what you'll do, and you'll do the burnt offering, but this is what I also want you to do and when you do this. Oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be so wonderful to me. It's going to be so wonderful. It's going to smell so amazing. It's going to be such a blessing. That's what God says to us. He's saying, will you come to me and bring me something that will please me? Will you bring me something that will be beautiful to me, that will be fragrant to me? And what he wants is this expression of our hearts. Just as with the burnt offering, when we gave our lives to Christ, we gave him our hearts. And so now... That that grain offering, that vow offering, is an expression of our hearts. Maybe take a second and think about. Think about yourself. Examine your heart. Is there something in your life that's not pleasing to God right now? Is there an action or a habit? Is there a cycle? Is there, is there a sin? You can bring it to God. He wants that vow to say, Lord, in your strength, I'm going to be intentional about this. In your strength, I'm, this is what I'm going to be intentional about. Because I, I I know that will please you.